0: Greetings again in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor Major H. H. Gilbert Sr. We're coming to you on this Friday evening, July the 1st. We're coming to you at our uh, Bible Institute here at Alta Vista, Virginia, all of our ministries. And we thank God for you joining us at this hour. We thank God for you joining us of this study the cross of Christ. And as we study the cross of Christ, we're going to look at, first of all, we just completed the meaning of the cross, and then we're studying the journey to the cross. And last week, as we studied the first uh, step, uh, we're going to look at four steps. The Last Supper we studied last week, uh, the, tonight we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane, and then also the cry of dereliction, and then the cry of triumph. We're going to look at those four steps when we considering the journey to the cross. And then we're going to uh, look at three steps. Uh, 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 points that we want to discuss. We want to look at the key theme, and and then we want to be able to identify uh, the the key truth uh, behind uh, our study, and then hopefully we'll be able to look at the key text. We're going to look at the key theme, the key truth, and then we'll be able to look at the key text that relates to our subject on tonight. Tonight again, we're going to review looking at the Garden of Gethsemane as Christ was journeying to the cross, as he was journeying to the cross, he had to make those four stops by the um, that upper room uh, when he prepared last supper to serve his uh, disciples, and then the God of Gethsemane, where he poured out his whole heart. So as we look at that study tonight, let us bow, Father God. We do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we get into this study. Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to move Heavenly the Father, in a mighty way. Touch the dear lips of your teacher, Lord, that I may be able to boldly say those things that you have laid upon mine heart, Lord. Let me be able to uh, break this bread of life to edify the body of Christ, whereby we'll be able to get a knowing knowledge of you, and then be able to grow close to you in our Christian walk. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We praise you. Uh, we repent of everything we've said, done, the thought. Cleanse us, wash us now in that blood of Jesus. Go with us now, and we'll surely. Give your name, all praise, glory, and honor. Let the body of Christ say amen. Amen. The cross of Christ, the journey to the cross. Last week, again, as we studied the Last Supper, we looked at, uh, uh, there are some points that we wanted to make sure that we identified. Those were the, uh, the, the key uh, truth behind it, the key uh, theme, the key truth, and the key text behind our study. Uh, if you have your Bible with you on this evening or is in your study notes, uh, Matthew 26. Uh, Matthew 26, we're going to do, we're going to go through these uh, three more steps. Like I told you, God, that's simply the cry of the election and the cry of triumph as we go through these studies. And, and, and we're going to look at uh, how uh, God, through his study, the, these three points, we're going to get us from uh, 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 the cross, uh, into completing the job that Christ had been assigned through his, dog, his father, God. Uh, here he says in Matthew 26, I want to be able to read that, and uh, Sinclair Ferguson said the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most sacred and solemn scenes in the entire Bible. It's one of those things that we need to understand in Matthew 26, uh, 36 through 46, it says in our text, then Jesus went uh, with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, uh, sit here and I go there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons Zebedee along with him and he began uh, to be sorrowful and troubled. And and then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed in sorrow to the point of death. So stay and keep with me and watch with me. Going a little bit further, he fell on his face on the ground he, Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned unto his disciples, and he found them sleeping, and and, and he said, couldn't you uh, men just keep watch with me for one hour? And and then he said uh, to Peter, he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away a little second time, and he prayed, my Father, he said, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he he again found his disciples sleeping because their eyes was heavy. So he left them and he went away and more and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And he returned to his disciples, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go. Here comes our betrayer. Here he's telling the disciples that his time has come for him to be betrayed. Uh, Judas was coming along with them to be the betrayer. So, our key theme we want to be able to see tonight is the God of Gethsemane. It's a $2 theological uh, word called uh, perpetuation. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit earlier, uh, previously, but if you look a little bit farther down into our notes, you'll be able to see. How to spell propitiation is P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N, perpetuation, And the word, is, it, it, it ever, every follower of Jesus needs to know what these words mean because it's what gives us the justification that we have in Christ. Uh, the, the, not many of us know exactly how this word is applied in our study. But the truth behind this is that Jesus endured condemnation for you and I. And what I have listed is the key text. There are four texts in the New Testament that we're going to review tonight. And, 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 and it pictures a perpetuation. Propitiation, Jesus endured condemnation for you and I. So we're going to show you the God of Gethsemane, how it sums up that Jesus endured this condemnation for us, and what perpetuation means. Perpetuation means that Jesus endured condemnation for us. You remember in Romans in three and twenty, when Paul writes, "God presented him as a sacrifice for atonement." In fact, just uh, just go there real quick. Let's go to that text. Go to it in your Bible, in Romans 3, and then you look at verse 25. He said, God presented himself a sacrifice uh, of atonement. So so this is telling us that that in the midst of of everything that was going along, that that Jesus was trying to let us know that he presented himself as that atonement for you. And that he became that propitiation for you and I. And, and, and that's why substitution comes again as we studied before. He, he, he came and substituted for us himself to become a sacrifice for you and I. So the note at the bottom, it says in our text, uh, sacrifice of atonement or the one that would turn aside the wrath of God, taking away sin. So that's the phrase here that we want to be able to lock into, get into our mind. God represented Christ is one who would turn aside his wrath and to take away sins of the world. So here's the truth. It should be in your notes. And sin arouses the fury, anger, and the wrath of God. Paul has been talking about it ever since in Romans 1 and 18. uh, And he says that in a way in 3 and 19 uh, that the sinfulness of man And the wrath of God is due to sin. Sin arouses fury and it arouses anger and it arouses wrath in God when he says that. As sinners, that means that we deserve to bear the wrath of God against sin in our lives. Sin invokes that fury in God and anger and wrath in God. And we are sinners, so we deserve to have the wrath of God over us because of our sinfulness. So Jesus is our what? Substitute again. And again, we, we, we're talking about this diamond. We talked about last time you turn it and see the reflection and you see the satisfaction of God and you see the substitution of God. And we we'll are just kind of turn it a little bit to be able to see it as our substitute. Jesus became the object of God's fury anger and wrath so that you and I might not be able to experience it. And this is what's going on here. In the cross, and especially in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is on his way to the cross to turn away God's wrath and to take away the sin that infuriates him. Now, that is actually those two theological terms that we talked about. One is, uh, expiation, which means our sin is removed. He took away the sin of the world. In the second part of that phrase, Jesus takes away our sin, to have sin expiated means that it was taken away, it was removed. But propitiation means God's wrath is satisfied. uh, uh, We were we're, we're singing about perpetuation there, and it just doesn't fit well uh, uh, into the contemporary worship songs that we have today. But but what do you rhyme with perpetuation? So the author is making a little joke. Perpetuation is one of those words that you don't fit into your daily conversation, but it means so much to you and I that Christ died as a substitute. He died in place of us. He became that sacrifice, and atoning uh, 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 sacrifice that, that cleansed us from our sin. And then we hear that, that, that through that substitution, that, that, that fury and anger and wrath of God, was taken away from us, and he became that substitute. So these theological terms, expiation and perpetuation, means that God's wrath was satisfied with what Jesus did on the cross. He did not have to come and to execute his anger and wrath against sin because Christ paid it off. The old song said that uh, he paid it all, all to him I owe. We owe him everything. And, and then on that cross, Jesus died, the wrath of god was satisfied he didn't have to experience that anymore earlier uh we, we we sang this song in christ alone on the cross jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied and, and that's what it was he satisfied it, it the wrath of god was satisfied on the cross uh to 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 to, to, to where well, you and i sins were paid for by jesus christ in the garden. So, what does it mean? How does it relate to the garden? When you see Jesus going to the garden and three times he was praying, he said, Father, if it be possible, allow this cup to pass by me. And he begs the question, what's in the cup? The question is, what is in the cup that Jesus is talking about? When we see Jesus sweating blood, pores uh, 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 running down his body, uh, just like uh, sweat in blood, intense agony. It's not because he's thinking about the physical pain that he had to go through it. He was talking about the spiritual pain being alienated from God, separated from God. That became the great sacrifice that Jesus made. He 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 made a spiritual sacrifice as well as that physical sacrifice. So the cup of the cross is predominantly spiritual suffering, not actually physical suffering. So there is a spiritual reality that we have to be expressed in prayer. Father, if it's not possible, allow this cup to pass by me. This is so important, brothers and sisters. Jesus is not a coward here. He's not a coward to face the Roman soldiers. He's not cowering in the garden about the Roman soldiers and what they could do to him. And 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 that is... Uh, what are, what are we to say that uh, those countless martyrs that had gone on before, uh, and as they were dying and and they were struggling and they were trying to deal with the physical pain, but what Christ did on Calvary was even greater. Not only did he suffer physical uh, pain, but what he did, he had spiritual suffering that separated him from the Father. He says that today. Uh, see, what's causing the anguish in the fact that Jesus is a coward about to face the Roman soldiers. In fact, that Jesus, not only, he's a savior about to endure the divine wrath of God for you and I. He, he, he took more boldness to go to the cross. He said, no sin did he commit. He went to the cross to die for you and I. Jesus is a savior, not, not a coward. He didn't cower away from what he had to face. But what I want us to understand is, 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 is what Jesus is doing. He's preparing a way so you and I could have a right to that tree of life. See, I want to hear the Old Testament description of the cup. We talked about the New Testament. So what was in that cup? Psalm 75 and 8 says that in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming and uh, uh, wine mixed with spices he pours it out and all of the wicked of the earth uh, drink it down to its drugs my my my, my mother used to make us uh, black broth did y'all ever have any black broth he made make black broth and mama would steep it and stir it up and she said don't drink it, that this, this syrup off it drink it all with the drugs and all he said those were the drugs that were drags that were inside of it drink it all even down to the very drugs and Isaiah, what about uh, uh, Isaiah 51? Isaiah 51 tells us to awake, and arise, rise of Jerusalem Have drunk the hand of the Lord, the cup of his, what his wrath. See, the cup, And it was the wrath of God that was in that cup. Uh, E.G. Williams was a pastor of First Buffalo Baptist Church when I was, he married my wife and I and all. But he said that, he, he asked the church one day, what would you do if I passed this cup around? and let everybody spit in it or do whatever they want in the cup. And and that's nasty. But what Christ did, he took all of those drugs, the nastiest, meanest, worst, most abominable things in the world he had in that cup, and he drunk that cup for you and I. Your sins was in that cup. My sins was in that cup. All of the sins of the world was in that cup. So it is the cup of wrath. Jeremiah 25 says, take this hand, this cup is filled with wine in my wrath. God speaking here, I'll make all nations who I'll send to drink it. And when you drink it, it will stagger and go in because the sword I will send among you. These are uncomfortable words to hear when we think about God. Ezekiel 23 said that you will drink your sister's cup, a large cup and deep, and it will scorn and it will hold so much. So here he's telling us Revelation in 14, or even Habakkuk 2 says that you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Uh, now it is your turn, drink and exposed, and, and the cup of the Lord's right hand is coming around you, and this grace will cover your glory. So Revelation 14, he's talking about the humbling uh, distinctions between the wrath of God. It said that he too will drink of wine of God's fury, and pour out full strength in the cup of his wrath. So the cup uh, that, that, that Christ had to take for your sins and my sins was what? It was the cup of wrath. It endured everything that God hated about us. But Christ had to take all of that in order for to drink of that cup to redeem us from our sins. He became that atonement for your sins and mine. Even in the Old Testament, uh, we we're going to fly through this, the picture of this seriousness about the wrath of God. Remember, we, we we diminish wrath. We dilute the wrath. We we diminish the holiness of God. We don't want to diminish His holiness. You know, we, we in the Old Testament, God's wrath is what? It's real. And there are more than 20 different words that describe God's wrath in the Old Testament and and, and over 580 different references to the wrath of God. And then we've listed some of them in, in our text today. <sighs> Uh, 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 Job 21 and 20 said uh, let his eyes see his destruction and, and, and let him drink of the wrath of the almighty and then we look down to Isaiah 30 and 27 it says see the name of the Lord come afar with burning anger and dense of smoke his lips are full of wrath it's in Ezekiel 7 said that I am about to pour out my wrath and to spin my anger against you Ezekiel 22 So all of what Christ did on the cross, what he was facing in the Garden of Gethsemane on their journey to the cross, is that he would have to take the wrath of God for you and I. That's what he did for you and I. He said that, so this is real, God's wrath. Not only is real, God's wrath is personal is God speaking to his people. Look at Exodus 32. It says that now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. So God's anger must be uh, appeased and, and it's intense. It's intense. It's intense. Uh, as though what we've seen is not intense enough. Look at Isaiah 13. The Lord Almighty is mustering his army for war. So God is coming against us with all of his power, all of his authority, to put to death what what causes sin to come into the world. To have Christ to die to atone for our sins would cover everything. So Ezekiel 5 says the same thing. God's wrath is intense. God intensely hates sin. It says in, 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 in Ezekiel 5, it says, uh, uh, do not do this detestable thing that I hate. That's what God says. He intensely hates sin. And, and we talked about that. God is this has his holy wrath, intensely hates sin, and he's sovereign, and God's wrath is steady. God's wrath is intense. God's wrath is also loving. We have a hard time understanding that how can God's wrath be loving? Huh? Uh, doesn't the father uh, uh, chasten his children? God's wrath is loving. God will hold us accountable to certain things because of who he is. And think about those who love. And think about your children and your wife or your husband or your, your mom and dad or whoever. Think about someone you love. And anything that would threaten them. Threaten to harm them. You're gonna meet it with full resistance. I love my wife. I love my children. I and 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 I love my brothers and sisters. And whatever threatens them, I'ma come at them with the greatest manner of resistance that I have in my body. And if I do that, what more will God do that for us? There are many things in our culture that which uh, should have a response just like that. I hope in my heart a holy anger for that. That I. I do not want my family to be pulled away from the will of God, and that should get my attention. And this is the picture of God's wrath, his loving wrath. He loves us enough that he do not want us to die in our sins. So he made Jesus Christ available to you and I so that we could have that right to the tree of life. So God's wrath is a loving wrath. Even in the New Testament, God's wrath is continual. Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. God's wrath is eternal. He rejects the Son and will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So whoever believes that the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath it remains on him. What Jesus did on Calvary, it removed the wrath of God away from us so that we can be able to stand before God as that sinless creature saved by Jesus the Christ. And uh, here he says that God's wrath is coming. Uh, John the Baptist said that you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. So the New Testament tells about the wrath of God. In Romans, Paul says that you'll storm up your wrath against yourself on the day of God's wrath. So it's coming. Whatever you've done, it's coming, God's wrath. It's deserved by us because we are sinful creatures. It's about. It talks about condemnation in Romans 3. It's deserved, so we deserve the condemnation of God. God's wrath not only is uh, 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 continual, it's eternal. And, and why does Jesus say so much serious things about sin? In your hand uh, or in your foot causes you to sin. He says, cut it off, take it away. Uh, it's better for you to have one part that is not in sin than to have your whole body which is uh, completely covered in sin. He said, there is a place called hell where worms do not die. And that's sad, ain't it? Five is not quenched. Uh, that's what we have to, that the wrath of God is eternal. He said, there will be gnashing of teeth and, and, and it will be forever wailing. God's wrath not only is eternal, God's wrath is final. His, he will punish those who, who, who are not do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But God's wrath is also dreadful. Revelation 6 says they call the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us. They're the face who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. So his, his wrath is dreadful. You do not want to stand against a, a, a holy God. And he warns us about that. Then on the cross... We discover that one who burns aside, who turns aside the wrath of God, propitiation is dependent on the initiative of God. So this is key right here. God represented him as one who would turn away his own wrath. And this is what we had through Jesus Christ. Uh, God didn't send a substitute in a sense. He sent himself, God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, He sent His own self in to be able to uh, to the cross to turn aside the wrath of God. So He turned that aside. So the pagan religions, uh, they they there are certain concepts of propitiation. Even in in where's the God? There's God's there's anger. There are things that are happening. So propitiation is not something uh, directly related to Christianity. It's a word that means that that your deeds can cover the sin. That provokes the wrath of God, no matter what good deeds can cover over sin, which provokes the wrath of God and anger of a holy God toward our sin and the sin in us. So it's God who is initiating the propitiation, not us trying to figure it out. No, we couldn't figure it out. How can you do uh, to propitiate an angry God? What can you do to propitiate an angry God? It's God himself saying, I'm going to initiate the propitiation. Propitiation is dependent upon the initiative of God. And it is also accomplished by the Son of Man. It's one of these words that we see in Romans and three. Jesus Christ is the righteous one, and He is atoning sacrifice for our sin, and that's the picture of that atoning sacrifice that we need. We don't have time to look at the scripture in uh, John three and Romans twenty two, but it's the picture of the sinful people who deserve the wrath of God, and we're going to look at that. But we don't. We we've been allowed to to to. To allow Christ to die in our stead, that put to death that that wrath that that we deserved, and gave us eternal life. So perpetuation is a demonstration, and so it's accomplished by what the Son of God, initiated by the Father, and is demonstrated by the love of God. Now this is where we really see the whole picture come together. First John four and nine said, "This is how God showed." His love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that you and I might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. He loved us. And that's why he died for us. And he sent his only son to accomplish what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And here we see that what we need to see is that you've got God in the Trinity. I said earlier, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, all God, one God, and three persons. What we need to see about God the Father, God the Son, is working in unison here in our text. The picture of propitiation is not a loving son who is trying to placate an angry father. We've got a loving father in this picture. We don't have a son and a father at odds in any way, that we have this unison of God's son. It was sent, Jesus was sent by his father, his love to be able to die for you and I. Jesus talks about how the father sent him. In this obvious, some uh, sent by the father's love, not just for us, but because father loves his son. The father loves his son and has placed everything in his hands. So what we got uh, is the love of the father who sends his son and, and then God's wrath that is endured by the son's love. God's son is sent by the father's love. God's wrath endured by the son's love. And so you don't have the son an unwilling participant in this thing saying, well, I have to, not just an accident, brothers and sisters, it's not the picture. The story that we have here is often, it is about Jesus giving of himself because of his love that he has us, And this is a story, an illustration that used to describe the cross. It said that it's absolutely not what we're going at the cross. This is not a son who wandered off and a father that got into something he shouldn't have. And, and it's a father that had a, 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 a desire to save mankind. He did that by sending his son into the world to die for our sins. And and he was being obedient to the Father. And that's where we are going to the cross. God's wrath is endured by the Son's love because Christ is being obedient to the Father. And this where we need to realize is that God that uh that we are not saved from our sins because of a bunch of Roman soldiers arrested Jesus and mocked him and nailed him to the cross. We are not saved from our sins because of what uh, the Roman persecutors did to Jesus. We are saved from our sins because the Father and the Son, in complete unison, willing to went to go to the cross. And Christ took that cup filled with all of the fury of God's wrath, and He drank it for you and I. One preacher said, it's just like you and I standing in front of the dam and with ten thousand miles high and ten thousand miles wide, filled up to the brim in water, and all of a sudden the dam would break loose and the water come rushing down toward us. In the same way the torrent of wrath of God came rushing toward us. Now imagine the water coming toward us and, and you are you're right before the water hits you and the ground in front of you opens up and swallows up. Everything, every drop of water is swallowed up. In the same way, Christ went to the cross and he took the full cup of God's wrath and and he drank it down every drop for you and I. Turned it over and he cried out, it is finished. That's what happened on the cross. He endured our condemnation for you and I. He experienced God's wrath that was due you and I. There's a a saying, man of sorrows, the name of the Son of God, who came and ruined sinners to proclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude and in a place condemned he stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, helpless, spotless Lamb of God. He was full atonement can be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior. And when he comes, our glorious king, all of ransom home to bring. Then anew the song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. All right? That's where we are today. Realizing that the picture of the garden of Gethsemane is not a coward. It's a savior allowing us to endure. Uh, allowing himself to endure the the, uh, divine wrath of God, the propitiation for our sin to become that substitute so that you and I can have eternal life. Christ did that for us. He journeyed to the cross. He went through the Last Supper. Then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to be able to come and to face the reality. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. Christ did that for you and I. Died on Calvary's cross for our sin to become that substitute, that perpetuation. He doeth God's wrath, God's condemnation. He doeth it for you and I because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Another scripture says that while we were still yet in our sin, He died for us. He commended his love for us that while we were still yet in our sin. That's what he did for us. He took condemnation. He took the wrath of God because of sin. He took it for you and I. Now, we can live in victory knowing that Christ has covered everything that needed for us to get eternally continually in his presence by Christ, the Holy Spirit, coming in doing this work in our lives. God bless you. We thank God that we're going to look at the cry of election on the next Sunday. looking at this journey to the cross, how Christ went to that cross to die for our sins, to, to absorb, to take the wrath of God, so that you and I won't have to take that wrath, that we are now standing before God, sinless, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But we thank God for everything that he has done in us, through us. But we ask that you continue to pray for our ministry here on the Wall Ministries. Continue to pray for us. And come out on Sunday morning at o'clock uh, for our Sunday school hour. We'll be teaching out of the uh, uh, standard publishing commentary. Uh, we, we are coming to you on this Sunday. And hopefully uh, you'll get a great understanding of his word. God bless you. We're so thankful for you and what you've done in us and your prayers each and every day, tuning in, watching us, and, and we are so thankful for that. And, I, and my gratitude is for those who have been tuning in, and I thank God for you. So let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this evening as we studied this journey to the cross. We're looking at this garden of Gethsemane, how Christ suffered not only physically, but he suffered spiritually. He, he took spiritual Condemnation and faced the wrath of God, and separated himself from the Father, so that he can be able to become that propitiation for our sin. Paid the price, paid the way, endured the wrath, endured condemnation, so that you and I could have salvation. God.